Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Okay, I'm just going to warn you, it's one of those nights we've got a lot of news to get to. One of the country's two major political parties has been swallowed whole by a Florida retiree who keeps finding ways to take money from his supporters and from the party itself. Plus, the all-out assault on your voting rights is underway ahead of the 2022 midterms. And seriously, why, why is Donald Trump Jr. opening his mouth about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry? His thoughts are almost too bizarre to believe. But we begin the readout tonight with the question that we've been asking, that I'm sure you've been asking for an entire year now. When will we return to normal life? This week, we got the first real sign that some aspects of our pre-pandemic lives are on the horizon, with the CDC giving the green light for fully vaccinated people to gather with other fully vaccinated people without wearing masks or social distancing, getting to see our loved ones again, to share a meal indoors with grandchildren, parents and friends, is perhaps the best thing that we've heard in a very long time. We're also seeing a reversal in the grim numbers that have haunted us all year with newly reported coronavirus cases and hospitalizations on the decline. Now, the reason for this progress boils down to science in the form of three vaccines. Now, the problem is there's a segment of the U.S. population that insists on rejecting science while clamoring that their so-called personal freedom means more than the 530,000 Americans who are no longer here. It's pretty natural to have a sensitivity uh, to freedom-loving Americans that say, we'll do the right thing, we know what to do, just give us our freedom back and lift some of these mandates. We can't protect everyone all the time. It's time for us to break free from this cycle of failed experts and, frankly, unconstitutional orders. A year later, it's time to retire or just ignore the control freaks. It's time to declare victory and move on. Those people are are not doctors, by the way. According to a new poll, 23% of Americans say that they have suffered the death of a close friend or family member because of COVID-19. And as we know, the deadliest year in U.S. history did not have to be so deadly. And those lies that you just heard are now feeding a staunch resistance to the vaccine among the folks who watch and trust right-wing outlets like Fox News. According to a Pew Research poll, Republicans are now 27% less likely to get or to have already received a vaccine compared to Democrats. Joining me now is Dr. Ashish Job, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health. Dr. Jerry Abraham, Director of the Vaccines Program at Kedron Health in Los Angeles. And Christina Greer, Associate Professor of Political Science at Fordham University. Thank you all very, for being here. Dr. Ja, the idea that the idea of masks and vaccines becoming a purely political thing is it is it hyperbole to say that that is why we have half a million Americans, at least that's part of the reason we have half a million Americans dead? Yeah, Joy, first of all, thanks for having me on. It is uh, crazy, right? Like we have not politicized drinking and driving. We don't say, well, it's freedom. Uh, we have not politicized largely like wearing seatbelts. Like there's a set of public health things we do 
that are good for us, but they're also good for people around us. And the fact that we have turned these things into a political issue, vaccines, masks, uh, basic social distancing, is not just baffling, but you're absolutely right. It has clearly contributed to so many unnecessary deaths and suffering in this pandemic. And so, Dr. Abraham, you testified uh, today um, about all of these realities. Um, Let's just look at some of the reasons. There's a Pew Research poll that talks about why Americans say that they are not getting vaccinated. Um, there's a concern about side effects, which is a, a pretty big part of it. Vaccines are developed and tested too quickly, say 85 percent of people. Um, they want to know more about the vaccines. I've heard that from family and friends. Distrust the medical system entirely. Say they don't need it, which is weird. And just don't get vaccines in general. Like they don't get the flu shot, et cetera. Um, but one thing we have noticed is that that's less true, less and less true among African-Americans and this is also a Pew poll, majority of black Americans, 61 percent, say they do now plan to get a covid vaccine or have already gotten one. How do you get around those kinds of objections? Yeah, I'll just say first and foremost, I mean, what was missing on that list is where are my vaccines? I haven't been offered a vaccine, and that is what my community says every day in South Los Angeles, and I did not see that as a response in that Pew study. Uh, where do I park? I don't have paid time off. I don't have child uh, care for my children. Uh, those are real reasons, but that's not to be confused for hesitancy. And that's the truth. There are real questions we all have about these vaccines, whether you are black or brown, white or yellow. These are new technologies. It is scary. We need to meet people where they are. We need to answer that medical literacy, health literacy question. We need to make sure that Americans understand basic science. But aside from that, there are real issues. And as Dr. John has uh, today mentioned uh, supply may soon outpace demand. And so we will have to find those arms and we need to meet them where they are, engage them, answer their questions and get them vaccinated if there are no contraindications. You know, and Christina, you know, there is, while we see uh, resistance among African-Americans declining, you do still hear, like, for instance, a lot of sort of chatter about the the Johnson and Johnson, the J and J vaccine, people feeling like that's the vaccine that's being pushed on, on, on black people, that's being pushed on, you know, sort of the, the working class and that the elite vaccines are the Moderna and the Pfizer, like that kind of thing. We had in Detroit, even a situation where initially the mayor was like, don't send us the Johnson and Johnson, send us the good ones, which, you know, the science says that that isn't true, that they're not one is not better than the other. But there is still some hesitancy, right there. The hesitancy is not all gone. Right. And I think that's where we need to have a multi-pronged approach. And we need to have as many PSAs and as many, uh, you know, we call them thought leaders or people who are, you know, leaders in their various communities to really articulate the facts. Right. And the facts are this. Pfizer and Moderna aren't the fancy vaccine. And Johnson and Johnson isn't the, the ghetto vaccine, as we've we've heard people talk about. Uh, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is one shot. So for certain populations, it might be a better vaccine for, say, homeless populations, uh, so for people who don't necessarily have the ability to follow up and come back in three weeks for the second vaccine. But I think, you know, having doctors uh, like the, uh, the two who are here tonight and several other doctors, especially doctors of color who can be leaders in their community, who can talk to, you know, deacons at churches, janitors at schools who can get that message out. It doesn't just have to be celebrities. It doesn't have to be politicians. It can be regular folks. 
uh, who have uh, the reputation and the respect in their communities. You know, if you belong to a church home or some sort of synagogue or, you know, uh, a temple, uh, whatever it is, you know, sometimes that's just a regular, it could be a teacher, it could be a housekeeper who's someone that the community respects. And they, if they believe that this is something for their community, they are probably the best advocates for this. But I think it's all about, Joy, you've been saying this from day one. It's all about listening to the science and the facts so that then people can make the best decisions for themselves and their families. No, oh, indeed. Yeah, you think uh, vaccines are scary? Try COVID. COVID is terrifying. Um, Dr. Shah, um, you yeah. know, I mean, and by the way, Rachel Maddow last night talked about the fact that her mother-in-law got the J&J. The J&J is fine. Rachel Maddow's mother-in-law got it. It is fine. Um, Dr. Shah, the other thing that, that I hear more than anything else now, among people even in my circle that were initially reluctant, is now I can't figure out how to get it, that I can't get at it, that, you know, there's none left, that, it, that you know, I, I heard Dr. Abraham say eventually supply is going to exceed demand, but right now demand feels like it's really exceeding supply. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, just a quick little shout out, shout out to Dr. Abraham on that testimony today. He was unbelievable. So, Dr. Abraham, thank you for that. Uh, I was inspired by you. Um, but let's get to your question, Joy. Um, look, it's so frustrating. States have made this so incredibly complicated for people. Uh, people are spending hours trying to navigate complex websites. It's unnecessary. We can make this simple and straightforward. I do think that we are going to have a point probably late March, early April, where we will have plenty of vaccines, but we got to make it easy for people. And one of the ways you build inequity in the system is by build, making it complex, by making it hard. And that's what a lot of states are doing. And I think it's a huge problem. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. And Dr. Abraham, you, per your testimony, can you talk a little bit about, and you did testify in person, I think is important for people to note as well. What are people most feeling like they can get back? Because I think that's what you kind of have to sell with people is here's what you can have back. Is that message working when you're talking to people about getting vaccinated, that these parts of your life can come back? Yeah, I think it was very important that I went to Congress in person. This was essential work-related travel and getting vaccinated, doubly vaccinated, like myself, means we get back to work, we get back to school, we get back to loving our loved ones, hugging and kissing them, doing all those wonderful things that we've missed since before this pandemic began. Um, I think there's a lot still we have to do. We still need to get everyone vaccinated, but I really appreciate you know, what Dr. John and all of the other members of today's uh, Senate 
panel mentioned, there's still plenty to do right now. And every one of those barriers must not stand in the way between people and their vaccines. Not having an appointment, not having internet, not having an email address or a phone or a home address. Those are not barriers to not getting a vaccine. And we must figure out why those systems are in place. We must break those barriers down. And that's exactly what we're doing in South LA. And that's why we're so effective. 52,000 doses into arms as of tonight. Yeah, congratulations on that. And Christina, uh, can, can you talk a little bit about on the other side? Because while we're having this conversation that's very positive and that it's making people feel hopeful, uh, in the other universe, on Earth 2, they're telling people, people like Laura Ingram, who have absolutely no credibility. She's not a doctor. She is, who is she to tell people that? They're putting people on TV who are not doctors who are saying, forget everything. Don't, you know, they're burn your masks. Don't do social distancing. Just do what you want. And you've got playing out all over the country governors also saying dismantle all of the restrictions. Forget the CDC. Just go wild, which feels like it's just going to kill more people and set us way back. And I don't know how if you have thoughts about how people can break through that information sort of bubble. Yeah, I mean, Joy, sadly, it's the, the politics from the partisan politics uh, aren't following the science. And so many Republican governors are putting the citizens of their state in severe danger. We're seeing this Texas is open for business. What does that mean for people who will sadly follow a politician with zero medical credibility uh, and not wear a mask, not social distance? and go back to businesses as, as usual without having been vaccinated. And so sadly, we might see some spikes in particular areas, even though vaccinations are getting into the arms of particular people. We're so far from herd immunity. Uh, we know that there are going to be certain states uh, where we're going to see spikes. And sadly, also, because the coronavirus is so odd, for some people, it takes them out quickly. For others, they have, you know, sort of some flu-like symptoms. And for some people, they didn't even know they had COVID. So you have Republicans who are saying, well, it's not that serious. I mean, you know, not that many people have died. We have over a half a million Americans who have died. And so politically, when you're trying to politicize something that should be based in medical science, uh, it's really hard to combat that because we have so many levels of government that are competing against one another for information and for the reality of this virus, where for some people it is serious. And so, no, it doesn't kill everyone, but it could take out your parents or your grandparents or right. someone you love. And we've seen that time and time again. We've also seen many Republicans saying, well, I've lost loved ones, but, you know, it's not that bad. It's just a figment of Democrats' imaginations to try and, and, and work against yeah. us. So sadly, we're still in the, and by the, the, way, the DJT era of that. Yeah. Well, and a lot of these people who are saying a lot of these governors, they've gotten vaccinated. Trump got vaccinated. So they're talking a lot of stuff, but they got their vaccines. Uh, Dr. Ashish Jha, Dr. Jerry Abraham, Christina Greer, thank you all very much. And up next on The Readout, the former president tightens his grip on the GOP, urging Republicans to start sending him their campaign contributions instead of sending the money to the RNC, like a ratchet crime boss. And then there's Republican Congressman Paul Gosar tweeting out an image of a sex worker along with a white nationalist motto, America first is inevitable. It's all very weird and creepy. But believe it or not, Gosar is not even tonight's absolute worst. We found people even worse. I'll give you a hint, it involves a royal scandal. The big reveal is coming up. The readout continues after this. There's something about Trump. There's a dark side and there's some magic there. 
what I'm trying to do is just harness the magic. To me, Donald Trump is sort of a cross between uh, uh, Jesse Helms, uh, Ronald Reagan, and P.T. Barnum. I mean, it's just it's just this bigger than life deal. He could make the Republican Party something that nobody else I know could make it. It could make it bigger. He could make it stronger. He could make it more diverse. Um, and he also could destroy it. For once, Senator Lindsey Graham is not entirely wrong. I mean, Trump is a lot like Jesse Helms and P.T. Barnum. Like, that ain't exactly untrue. There is a dark side to the former president. Although whatever magic that he sees is really just open, goofy racism and corruption. And while not making the Republican Party stronger, Donald Trump is definitely making it more like a family. Though it's the kind where he might as well be considered the Don. How else can you describe it when the Florida retiree is threatening to sue his own party for using his name to fundraise? And last night and again an hour ago, Trump sent word to his MAGA devotees. That's a nice party you got there. If you want to see it succeed, send your money directly to me. Looking at the fine print, none of the money goes to any organization directly affiliated with the Republican Party. By the end of last year, Trump's Save American PAC was able to pocket more than $31 million from supporters, which Trump can pretty much do with do whatever he wants to with. You might think that that would anger the Republican Party, taking money from their coffers and setting them up to have to beg Trump for cash. But no, 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 no. It appears they don't think it's a big enough tribute to the head of the family. In fact, Republicans are adding money to Trump's pockets by moving part of their upcoming spring retreat to Mar-a-Lago so that Trump will speak. And of course, they'll be paying him for using his club. And something tells me he won't be giving them a friends and family discount. And remember this. While one major political party is on the cusp of delivering life-saving relief for millions of Americans, the other is focused on kissing the ring of the Florida Don. Joining me now is Adrian Elrod, former senior aide on the Biden, Harris and Hillary Clinton campaigns, and David Frum, staff writer at The Atlantic and former speechwriter for George W. Bush. David, um, thank you for being here. I want to start with you because it, it does. We, when we were talking about this um, when we were preparing the show today. It feels like, you know, Donald Trump isn't fleecing the Republican Party. So it's not a con on them. He's actually gotten them to essentially become a mafia of sorts where they've got to pay him, where they can't use his likeness for free. They, at least they say they can't. But he says, no, you can't. He has another statement out tonight. You're wasting your money. They're rhinos. Another statement out tonight. If you really want to help the American people, you need to send the money to me. Send me the money and then I'll I'll save the country. Um, and where essentially he's he's eaten the Republican Party up and in a sense made it like the mafia. Is, is, is that hyperbole to say? Well, I was talking just this afternoon to someone who was in regular contact with the post-presidential Trump. Um, and according to my friend, uh, here are some things that are true. Trump desperately wants to be president again. Um, he never understood how much he liked the job while he had it. But now that he doesn't have it, he wishes he had it again. And and the one bit of criticism you can give him that he will hear is that he wasn't focused enough on what matters. And clearly, since the impeachment and the trial and the new administration, he has been very focused on one thing, which is just what you said, making sure that the, the streams of money in the party flow to him. Right. And so if the and so, Adrian, if, if you've got these two things working together, you've got Trump saying, I'll help you with this one thing, voter suppression. You need to pass, you need to, to not let H.R. 1 pass. So you need to make sure that you suppress enough votes and pass enough bills to make it so that it's almost impossible to, to, for me not to win. Right. And that's being done. Check. And then on top of it, saying send all the money to me. 
It, it is a stranglehold. And it's, it's what's odd to me is it's one Republicans don't have to be and they're choosing to be in it. Yeah, you're exactly right, right, Joy. And look, I mean, this is the problem the Republican Party has had since Trump became the nominee in 2016. Uh, they leaned into him. They sort of fought him off before, you know, they weren't quite sure what to do with him. And then once he became the nominee, they just went for it and leaned straight in. And we knew this would come back to bite them. We knew that they were going to have a series of challenges in the long term, maybe some good short term games but a series of challenges in the long run. And now you're seeing that come to fruition. He is the Republican Party's cash cow. If the RNC and the NRCC cannot raise money off of Donald Trump, how are they going to raise money? It's not like Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy have anywhere near the fundraising prowess that Donald Trump has. So if he tells his donors, hey, listen here, you got to give to me and not to these party committees, they're going to be in some real trouble. Well, I think that is clearly true. I mean, David, from... You know, it is it's both sad that right just as stimulus checks are going to be going out, Donald Trump has got his eyes on them to have these people send their money to him just when they're getting their stimmies, they're going to probably be sending them to him. And then you've got like five Republicans who are the old school type Republican retiring. And to Adrian's point, you're probably going to have five mini Trumps yeah. running. You've got one guy who may be running in Missouri. His name is Eric Greitens. He actually used to be the governor, but he resigned after sexual misconduct allegations came out. He's an ardent Trumper. He's thinking about running again. His, the allegations, including he tried to blackmail a woman he was having an extramarital affair with using a naked photo he took of her without her consent. But that guy probably has a shot. And so what you do is you replace the sort of old fashioned Republicans with that. And then what is the party? Are we really looking at Jelani Cobb wrote the Whigs used to exist. They're gone. The Federalists well, used the, to exist. Is this a death spiral? Well, the Greitens story is, is such a terrible human tragedy. This is a guy I know him a little bit who one would have thought was once the future, uh, a former Navy SEAL, a former Rhodes Scholar, a person of education, someone who was interested in Greek philosophy, um, someone who wrote books on the importance, the supremacy of character, and who, who won a race to be governor of Missouri at a young age. Um, I think the first Jewish governor of, of Missouri. And that he would, that this remarkable person would succumb to scandal in the way that he did, which is so offensive and upsetting and tragic. And then say the solution for me who once studied the Greek philosophers is to become the Trump of Missouri. It's it's amazing, Adrian, but it also that describes Josh Hawley, who's got an Ivy League education and all of this sort of highfalutin education that he now pretends that, you know, he's the working man's guy, but he's a very highly educated guy, but they all become Trump, right? In the end, they, they think that mm -hmm. the only way to do it is they all try to be him. I mean, even people like Ted Cruz, who he has belittled and mocked his own, he can't even defend his own wife. It's more important to defend Trump. Lindsey Graham, I mean, they're all just going to turn into him. And then I, I ask again, is there another party on the other side of the Democrats if this is the performative sort of role and this is what they want to be? Well, you know, Joy, over the past, you know, however many years, we've always seen times where we thought, well, maybe this is really the time where you could see a third party make a big stand. Of course, in 92 with Ross Perot garnering 20 percent of the vote. Um, you know, that was an area where we thought, well, maybe we'll see a third party take shape. We've never seen anything quite like this, where you've got the combination of social media, different forms of communication, and then somebody like Trump, who, you know, frankly, is so different than what the Republican looked like and looked like about 20 years ago. So this could actually be the time. And look, if he amasses a fortune with his pack, which, you know, especially if he won't let the RNC use his name, I see no reason why he wouldn't. 
he will be able to substantially fund some of these challengers. That's why you're seeing moderates like Richard Burr, Pat Toomey, uh, even to an extent, Richard Shelby. I can't believe I'm kind of calling him a moderate, but compared to some of these other guys you've got in the Senate, he is certainly um, more of a mainstream Republican. You're going to start to see some of these challenges. And if these guys start winning who Trump is endorsing in a Republican primary, that's going to spell huge trouble for the Republican Party as we know it. You know, David, I, I've been thinking a lot in the last several weeks about the, the, uh, the John Birch Society and, and, and how long it took for Republicans to finally dismiss them and get rid of them because they realized they were making them lose elections. Donald Trump has a losing streak like none other. He not only lost the presidency, he caused them to lose the United States Senate. He, he hasn't grown the party. Um, at some point, is there a John Birch Society exclusion moment, do you see, in the future? Or, or does a section of the current Republican Party just break off and maybe form its own thing? No, I think in politics, you learn through pain. And so what is going to happen is 2022 should be a good Republican year. The, uh, they're the party not of the president. Um, and the, the normal ballot question in the second year of a president's term is, is everyone happy or does anyone have any complaints? And people yeah, I got some yeah. complaints. The catering isn't all it could be. I, I, yeah, we got complaints. Um, Donald Trump is going to insist, never mind your complaints about this guy. Does anyone have any complaints about me? Let's talk about me. That's always the Donald Trump input. So let's talk about me. And when it's yeah. smart not to talk about him, he still insists you talk about me. And so if Donald Trump, if 20, <laughs> he makes 2022 a referendum on Trump, the Republicans are sunk. If he makes it a referendum on Biden, they could pick up yards. And every Republican knows this, but doesn't dare say it. That's the problem, is that they're too cowardly to, 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 to go after a retiree who can't hurt them in any way. It is bizarre. Adrian Elrod, David Frum, thank you both. Really appreciate you. Thank it's you. weird. Uh, up next, Georgia Republicans are making an aggressive push, as we were just talking about, to suppress black voters, a direct response to Republican losses there in November and January. And they're doing it in the same week civil rights icon Vernon Jordan is remembered. Ah, the timing. We'll be right back. Today, civil rights icon Vernon Jordan was remembered in a memorial service in Washington. Former President Bill Clinton spoke and Vice President Kamala Harris was among the dignitaries and civil rights leaders in attendance for the service at Howard University for Jordan, who passed away this week at age 85. The service came one day after Georgia, the state where Jordan fought to register voters as field director for the NAACP, passed yet, passed yet another draconian voter disenfranchisement bill. The Georgia bill eliminates no excuse absentee voting and requires ID for those permitted to vote absentee. It comes just a week after the Georgia House steamrolled through an equally suppressive bill, restricting ballot drop boxes, requiring more ID for absentee voting and limiting weekend early voting days. As Mother Jones notes, these laws are Georgia's most restrictive voting laws since the Jim Crow era. Former president and former Georgia governor Jimmy Carter weighed in today, saying in a statement, quote, as our state legislators seek to turn back the clock through legislation that will restrict access to voting for many Georgians, I am disheartened, saddened, and angry. Of course, it's not just Georgia racing to disenfranchise Americans. On Monday, Iowa's Republican governor signed into law a Republican-backed bill slashing early voting there. Meanwhile, less than a week ago, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a voting rights bill, H.R. 1, to expand access to the ballot. 
But naturally, sore loser that he is, the disgraced, twice impeached Florida man whose big lie is being weaponized by these state houses to push suppression has a plan to undermine it and is making voter suppression his brand. The Daily Beast reports the former president has made it clear that he wants election crackdowns to emerge as one of the defining legacy of his post-presidency. And from his home base in Florida, he's told advisors he wants to help rally support for state GOP voting restrictions. Because, of course, joining me now is Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Voters Matter. And Latasha, just, you know, Donald Trump, the former president, appears to want his legacy to look a lot more like George Wallace before George Wallace had a change of heart. Like he wants to be Jesse Helms in the in the American memory, not Jimmy Carter, who is like known for building houses for the poor. What does it mean to have a former president say that he wants his post-presidency brand to be voter suppression? You know, it's, it's indicative of who he is. He built his entire presidential career on being a divider, of being a liar, of being someone who actually aligned himself with white supremacism was a racist. And so I think that he has told us who he is, as my grandmother would say, if someone tell you they are, believe him. And I so I think he has been very consistent with that. You know, what is really disheartening is that here we are 56 years after the voting rights movement, the week, the very week that we celebrated Bloody Sunday when, when Black people were actually beat on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And here we are literally facing this draconian bills that actually are, look like a snapshot of the Jim Crow, Crow era in the 1965. You know, I watched the Vernon Jordan uh, Memorial today. It was a beautiful memorial. I mean, President uh, Clinton spoke. And, you know, you think about he you know, did the expansions of motor voter. You know, presidents normally want to in- enhance democracy. We're seeing the opposite now. But what does it mean for Georgia the state that has, you know, the state you worked so hard in, that Stacey Abrams worked so hard in, that just had an historic election, its first black senator, its first Jewish American senator. After all that history, for the response of the state legislature to be, let's make sure that they can never do it again. To you as an activist and an organizer, what does that do to you? Does it make you angry, more determined? What does that do to you and your activism? You know, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm upset, but I am certainly determined. You know, I think that part of what we know historically in this country, whenever there has been black progress, there's always been this group of, 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 there's been a white backlash and this group of people who sought to actually stop the progress that's been happening. I think what we saw in 2020 was actually in response to the voter suppression that happened in 2018. You know, part of what I think racists often do is they underestimate the power um, and the determination of black voters. And so it makes me extremely upset, more so than just looking at the legislature and what happened in Georgia, the lieutenant governor hid out in his office. You know, five of the Republican senators kind of excused themselves um, and I don't I didn't have the courage to stand up for it. But then, you know, it's very upsetting also that Georgia, that it tries to pride itself as being in Atlanta, the city too busy to hate. It's not too busy to suppress. And so you've got a multinational company like Coca-Cola there that has a brand of 74 billion dollar brand value that did not use its power to the extent to be able to bring this to on one hand, say that they're for racial equity and not leverage their, their, leverage their political power to put pressure to make sure that does, that didn't happen. So they had the opportunity, but they still do have an opportunity to stop this in conflict. Do you think, do you think that's what's going to take? Are, are there going to have to be discussion of boycotts? I mean, Tyler Perry Studios is down there raking in hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars for the state of Georgia. Coca-Cola is down there. Delta Airlines is down there. Are, are we going to start talking about boycotts? Um, directed at states and directed at companies who don't 
stand in the way of this or who perpetrate um, disenfranchisement? You know, I think that companies have the opportunity. I think this is a prime opportunity that those companies that have said that they are committed to racial equity and justice, that this is the time to affirm that, to stand with the community. I don't believe that the protection of democracy should solely fall on the black backs of black people. That constantly it is not our burden to bear, that we all know that democracy is good for business. And so I think that we've got to put pressure on all kinds of levels. We have to literally those who seek to undermine um, democratic efforts in the state. We've got to hold them accountable, just not just in the legislature, but also their businesses, the whole ecosystem. This is not the burden for black people to bear, although we've been attacked and we're targeted. That this actually restricts what's really ironic, Joy, is that the the expansion of the voting rights of the absentee ballot voting was actually by Republicans. Republicans targeted and right. created the bill for for rural white people that they felt like would vote. And when black people turned out in record numbers, that was not necessarily the outcome they expected. And so now they're saying, oh, right. we don't need this anymore. Yeah. And, and going after the black church in such a direct way, saying, oh, we'll just get rid of Sunday voting as if no one can see what they're doing. Latasha Brown, you're doing so much. And I know that you've got other stuff that we could have gone on about. There's things happening in Alabama when it comes to black judges being uh, targeted that you raised um, to me today. And we're going to be following up on that. So thank you always for keeping us up to date on what's going on regarding uh, what's happening in this country. Really appreciate you. And up next, jury selection is now underway as former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin goes to trial for the murder of George Floyd. And that's not the only big legal story. Stay right there. After a brief delay, the Derek Chauvin murder trial began in earnest today in Minnesota. Lawyers for both the prosecution and defense questioned potential jurors about their answers to a lengthy and detailed questionnaire. And they selected the first three jurors they intend to seat for the trial. The first is a white male who says the criminal justice system is biased against racial minorities statistically. But he added that, quote, in my opinion, all lives matter equally, and that should include police, unquote. The second juror said her uncle is a police officer, but that she can be fair. Pool reporters described her as, quote, a person of color. And the third is another white male who says he has no personal opinion because he hasn't examined the case from the viewpoint of the law. This comes after former federal prosecutor Paul Butler made the case in a Washington Post op-ed that the jury must include African-Americans if its verdict is to have any legitimacy. Jury selection remains ongoing despite a looming appellate court decision over whether a third-degree murder charge will be reinstated, which could delay the trial. And Paul Butler joins me now, former federal prosecutor and Georgetown law professor and my friend Paul. Does it, it, does it annoy you as much as it does me when, when these pools, no, no offense to the journalists, but refuse to tell you they say person of color and they just blanket that out there and do not tell you whether there is a black juror, which visually people should be able to figure out or maybe they need more diversity so that they can visually figure it out. But you wrote that there needs to be an, a black person, on the jury, an African-American on the jury for it to be legitimate. We still don't know if that's the case. That's absolutely right. The people have a right to a jury that reflects the diversity of the community. Minneapolis is about 20% African-American. The jury pool is about 12% Black. And Joy, I'm very concerned that when prospective Black jurors honestly answer that they've had bad experiences with cops or that they know that the cops in Minneapolis use excessive force against Black people, 
that they will be struck from the jury, even though acknowledging bias in the criminal legal system, it's not an opinion, it's a fact. And isn't, I mean, isn't, isn't it true that these cases are won in the voir dire? The case is basically won based on who gets excluded and who gets let on, right? So when these questionnaires go through, and here's some of the questions. Do you believe our criminal justice system works? Why, or not? Why not? Have you ever helped support or advocated in favor or against police? Have you participated in protests about police use of force and brutality? How favorable, unfavorable are you about Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter? Those things, the last question especially seems really relevant. When, when those jury questionnaires go through, what happens to those questionnaires? Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So, Joy, under the law, jurors are supposed to use their life experiences and their common sense when they evaluate evidence. And the fact is, many African-Americans have different experiences with the police than white folks, for example, but the experiences of African-Americans are just as valid as the experiences of any other Americans. It's not a basis to exclude them from the jury. Two of the white jurors who were selected today said that they had concerns about whether the police treat black people fairly. But it's actually common for lawyers to accept an answer from white jurors. And then when a prospective black juror says the same thing for the lawyer to strike that juror. And I think it's it's important for the media for that reason to just tell us if the juror is black. Sorry. Find enough diversity in your jury, in your um, press pool to be able to look at that person and tell us if the person is black, because telling us person of color does not tell us if there are any black jurors. And you could end up with no black jurors. And we wouldn't know it because we just that happened during the Zimmer, the George Zimmerman trial. And it was maddening. Um, Let's talk about the, the likelihood of conviction. I'm very cynical about these cases, as you know, Paul. You and I have talked about this before. We, we went through and we looked at from 2014 to 2020, a bunch of really high-profile cases from Michael Brown to Eric Garner, some of which happened on tape. Eric Garner was killed on tape saying, I can't breathe. Tamir Rice, little boy, killed on tape. Um, you saw it. Um, Freddie Gray, you saw him be dragged like a rag doll and thrown into the back of a truck. Walter Scott, you saw him, like, murdered. He was the only one he was convicted, but he was only convicted in a federal trial. They actually, the jury actually hung when they tried him in South Carolina, despite all that evidence. Both of them, John is the one where you could see an actual conviction. It's so rare. that What does it actually take to convict a police officer in kill, for killing particularly killing a black person when people don't necessarily sympathize with the dead, they sympathize with the cop. It takes jurors who are willing to listen to the evidence that's presented in court and especially not to give police officers a break. Sometimes jurors say, well, I think the cop did it, but he's just trying to do his job, so I don't want to punish him. And then they're sympathetic frequently to defenses like what we're hearing from Chauvin. We know that his defense is going to put going to be to put George Floyd on trial and make it sound like he's responsible for his own death. So they're going to claim that Chauvin didn't actually kill George Floyd, but that Floyd died from natural causes and illegal drugs in the system. And they'll say that Chauvin, that, that Mr. Floyd resisted arrest and that Chauvin used reasonable force in response. So, Joy, that's character assassination. 
but it's a typical defense strategy when officers are charged with using excessive force. They put the victim on trial, and too often that works. And it works because the use of force guidelines, Google use of force guidelines, everybody, and find out how broad they are. And the American people have given police broad power to use force. That's one of the reasons it's hard to convict them. Let's go to another suspect. You've got this pipe bomb suspect, um, just to go on a whole different level here. In the cases of whether these are some people who might face real justice, we'll see. Um, videos taken blocks from the Capitol include an alleyway near the RNC where you can now see this pipe bomber walking through. Um, what are the chances of, of is this how useful is this information to actually catching this person? It's extremely useful for all of its flaws and its inability to communicate with the D.C. police and Capitol Police what was going down on January 6th. Despite all those flaws, the FBI remains the world's preeminent law enforcement investigation. It's quite good at tracking down bad guys. It's already tracked down about 200 of the 800 people who were involved in the insurrection. And so... Catching this guy won't be the difficult part. Charging him, prosecuting him, and getting him convicted, uh, that will be the challenge. That's the thing that's so crazy. It's harder to convict somebody for leaving a pipe bomb than it is to convict a police officer for killing somebody on TV. Last one, uh, this QAnon shaman who's staying in jail. Is that a good sign that he might actually be um, facing justice for real? Uh, I, I think so. Look, the judge, Judge Royce Lambert, I've appeared before him many times. He's a no-nonsense guy who does not come to the courtroom to play. So he looked at this Jacob Chansley guy. Remember, Joy, this is a man who demanded organic food and went on a hunger strike until he got it. This is the same guy, though, who left a note in Mike Pence's chair at the Senate that said that justice is coming. It's only a matter of time. On social media, he posted about hanging government workers who he called traitors. Yeah. And now he says he shouldn't be held in jail because of his bizarre QAnon beliefs. The judge let him have it, Joyce. He yeah. said that that request yeah. was so frivolous as to insult the court's intelligence. I would have said it's white privilege on steroids. Yeah. And then he got a 60 Minutes interview. What was that about? Paul Butler, thank you very much. Really appreciate you. All right. Thank you. And stay ahead. The moment that you've all been waiting for. It's almost time to crown tonight's absolute worst. interview with Meghan and Harry had not even aired yet in the UK. And British chat show host and former Apprentice contestant Piers Morgan was already shocked and outraged that Meghan would dare to accuse the royal family of racism. Thankfully, one of his guests reminded him how ludicrous that was. The royal family as an institution is rooted in colonialism, white supremacy, and racism. The legacy's right there. So you are now surprised that a comment would have been made by several members of the royal family about how dark Archie is. It's not several is. members, actually. No, no, outraged. you can't spew lies. Right. Harry and Meghan are we allowed to engage in any of this? Actual, let me finish. Well, you're, you're not stopping. That Harry and Meghan had the audacity to speak that truth, that you should be at the actual outrage of racism. Well, this morning, Morgan walked off the set of Good Morning Britain after his co-presenter, Alex Beresford, dragged him to the foot of the throne. And I understand that you don't like Meghan Markle. You've made it so clear a number of times on this program 
a number of times, and I understand that you've got a personal relationship with Meg Markle or had one, and she cut you off. She's entitled to cut you off if she wants to. Has she said anything about you since she cut you off? I don't think she has, but yet you continue to trash her. Okay, I'm done with this. No, no, no. Sorry. No, oh, uh, sorry. So, do you know what? That's pathetic. You can trash me, mate, but not my no, own. No, 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 no. See you later. I'm being... Sorry, can't this do this. This is absolutely diabolical behaviour. He has since quit the show. And while Piers was busy throwing a fit before he quit, the all-white teeny bopper Trump fan club was getting equally hysterical about the interview. Let's start with Charlie Kirk, the random white-wing provocateur, called Prince Harry, who spent 10 years in the British Army with two tours in Afghanistan, a, quote, beta male, because he dared to, wait for it, support his wife. Perhaps he'd like him to be more like Ted Cruz. But then there is spray-on hair aficionado and migrant child capturer Stephen Miller, who tweeted, it's not about you, but about your country. A reminder, his immediate past boss was Donald Trump. And then there is racial irony YouTuber Ben Shapiro, who called Harry spoiled, before moaning about how challenging it must be for ailing Prince Philip to watch his grandson call the institution a vile repository of bigotry. I guess Ben wasn't paying attention when Prince Philip asked Aboriginal Australians if they were still throwing spears. Apparently, Don Jr. noticed that all the MAGA kids were doing it and felt left out. So he decided he absolutely had to jump in because, let's be real, what else does he have to do except hope that his daddy will one day pay attention to him? Why was there no questioning again? Didn't seem like she was hiding from the press. Didn't seem like she wasn't buying with full disclosure. Meaning, if you're marrying into the British royal family, you probably understand that there is some stuff that comes along with that that isn't always going to be awesome. Is it, is it possible for a person's chin to actually go in? By the way, Fail Son never even watched the interview. Perfect. Enter Bethany Frankel, the lady from one of the Real Housewives shows who makes skinny wine or something. She hadn't even seen the interview, but felt it necessary to share with her followers in advance that she had zero sympathy for the Duchess. She later apologized for her opinion. And there's another like super rich media lady waxing on about it, too, but I I can't remember who she is. But all of these folks and their ignorance make them the absolute worst. And you know how I know they're the worst? Because the queen herself issued a statement acknowledging the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Meghan, saying the issues raised, particularly of race, are concerning. Oops, let's call it the Queen's Gambit. And that's tonight's readout. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.